Welcome in, everyone, to episode 134 of the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damon here with Matt and David. Today, we're going to look back at our uh, preseason predictions and some teams that are surprising us and some teams that are disappointing. Uh, we have, we're going to go over our midseason awards. Uh, before we get to all that, David, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, my baseball team, not doing so good, but but I'm I'm doing great. Uh, going on vacation this weekend, really excited. Hitting D.C., hopefully we're going to hit Nats Park, see a, uh, a Nationals game, so that'll be good to get out of uh, get out of the standard comfort zone and, and check out another team, another ballpark, but uh, see the nation's capital, all that. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm not excited about the Cubs right now, but you know, rest assured, there's more baseball going on. There's a lot of trade deadline talk coming up, among among other things. We're going to get into that. Stay tuned. Matt, how you doing today? Doing pretty good. Um, I actually mentioned going to the ballpark. I went to my first game of the year on uh, Saturday. I went to watch the, the Braves play the White Sox, and um, it was not a great game for the Braves. They ended up losing 6-5, to five, but uh, I got to see Acuna hit two home runs, and I got to see Strider pitch, which he didn't have a great outing, but his stuff looked incredible. He hit 101 with the fastball, which is, I think, the highest he's thrown this year, which is awesome, but uh, got some dink and dunk hits on him and some bad play by the left fielder too that didn't, that didn't help but um but yeah it's been a good week uh that was uh exciting to get to go to the ballpark and and have that was fun and uh yeah that's pretty much it how are you doing Navian? i am doing all right just trying to bear the heat wave that we finally got in california uh this week it's been uh i think the lowest day we've had is like 106 in the past week or so and doesn't look encouraging going forward so uh just trying to bear that but you know, been watching some baseball. The Dodgers were in the in New York against the Mets, so they de- were dealing with some rain. But a uh, good weekend series for them. And excited to uh, to jump in and see how wrong we really were with some of these, uh, um, you know, division predictions. But we'll go ahead and start with the awards. Um, you know, looking ahead at our first rookie, or you know, the best rookie that we have. Who do you guys have? And we'll start with Matt in the AL for your best rookie. Yeah, so in the AL for my best rookie, uh, I was kind of split, and I think one of y'all might have picked the other guy. Yeah, David picked the, the other guy I was looking at, so uh, I'll let him talk about him. But uh, the guy I picked was Josh Young. Um, coming into the season, he was a guy that I think when we did our, our breakdowns in the offseason, I said that he was the guy I was worried about on the Rangers. Just because of his profile for the last couple of years, you know, the minor leagues dealt with a lot of injuries. Uh, you know, he, he, last year he came up for a cup of coffee in the big leagues and was really, really bad. Uh, didn't have a great triple a season last year either in 23 games at triple a, he struck out a ton, never walked. Uh, that's part of his, you know, downfall this year at, at times has been the, the plate discipline, but he's hit for a lot of power, 19 home runs. Um, he hit 275 with a 324 on base, but a 492 slugging. That's a 124 WRC plus, And he's played really, really good defense at third base as well. So Josh Young put up 2.6 war in the first half uh, in 92 games. Really, really solid rookie season for him. And uh, we'll see if he can continue it on. But he's going to be my pick for the AL rookie. Yeah, so, you know, I went with Matt's other other option there. Went with Luke Rayleigh, who's a 28-year-old first baseman and outfielder for the Tampa Bay Rays. And uh, he's a bit of an unsung hero with that, that organization. You know, they've had a a really good group of guys come in and, and perform well to get the raise to 60 wins at, you know, at this point in the season. And Luke Rayleigh's a big part of it. You know, he's hitting the ball really hard. Um, 
got, you know, just all red dots on StatCast. Got a 160 WRC plus, uh, 15 home runs, 11 stolen bases. Like, he's just out there playing a, a really good brand of baseball that is mostly a strong side platoon, right? He, he gets a few games against lefties, but for the most part, he's a righty masher. And, uh, you know, the stats are, the splits kind of back that up. But at the same time, that isn't really deterring him from performing at a really high level right now and kind of being the 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 corner outfielder and, and first baseman when Yandy Diaz went down that that Tampa Bay is needed uh he he's just been really good and I I think that you know when when you've got a guy who's kind of come out of nowhere to an extent and and be someone who's not really a prospect he's been a bit of a journeyman he's on the been in the Dodgers organization been in the Twins organization but, you know, it's with the Rays, of course, that he finds success and is able to make those changes to, you know, get that exit velocity up, get those home runs. You know, his strikeout rate's concerning going forward, but this is an award about going forward, right? This is an award about what he's done. And, and all he's done is put up three wins above replacement, a 160 WRC plus, and uh, generally been one of the best rookies in the AL. Uh, who's your best rookie, Damian? Uh, so for mine, I went with Mazataka Yoshida. Um you know, David and I were kind of having a conversation about this a little earlier today, but you know, when Yoshida got this contract, what was it? Five years for $90 million. Everyone said that they, it was a big, gigantic overpay. They wouldn't have even given him half of this contract. Uh, he was supposed to be a guy who didn't have much power, but was going to be a good, you know, average guy. Well, he's came in this year and he's batting 316 with 11 homers. He's slugging almost 500 this year. Uh, 130 WRC plus been really well, like 50, 50 RBIs, 51 runs. Like he's just been a big catalyst for that Boston Red Sox, uh, offense, even though they haven't been a, a great team overall. Um, Yoshida is, is exceeding expectations for what everyone had projected for him to come over, uh, from Japan. Um, and it's been really, really cool to see. And, uh, so I picked him as my rookie for the American league this year. Um, but for the NL, we are pretty much all in agreement here. And I think it's a, an easy case, but you guys go ahead and just talk about what, uh, what Corbin Carroll means the, uh, NL rookie. Yeah. Well, I'm watching him right now because they're playing against the Braves and, uh, yeah, he's good. Um, <laughs> he, um, he, just, his numbers are incredible. Like coming up straight out of the, out of the minors, or I, I guess he had a 20, 32 games last year, but he's hit. 284 with a 359 on base and a 534 slugging, 139 WRC plus, go along with 26 stolen bases and I mean 3.6 WAR in his first 89 games of his rookie season. Which I know last year he had the short cup of coffee in the big leagues, but he's been really, really, really good. Um, the defense has been has been really solid. It's been you know league average. Uh, he's playing a lot of left field, so they'll you know they'll dock him on his WAR a tiny bit with the positional adjustment. But he's uh, he's been really uh, really really impressive, and you know there's still probably room for growth with him too. I mean he's he's a really good player already. So um, we'll see what he's able to continue going forward. He's he's fun to watch for sure. So you know I I look back since we're about to kind of look back at our predictions for all the, the teams and just see how that's kind of shaping up in terms of, you know, current standings. I also looked back at our awards picks and everybody had Corbin Carroll for NL rookie of the year. 
I, I didn't because I just wanted to pick differently and my picks are not performing well, right? Corbin Carroll is going to run away with Rookie of the Year. But what I did have was Corbin Carroll as a Dark Horse MVP candidate. And I said it's it's because if Corbin Carroll performs well, gets you know a lot of stolen bases, he's going to look like an MVP caliber player. And he is out here looking like an MVP caliber player. Now, we're going to get to you know best hitter, right? He's going. It's not going to be Corbin Carroll for for all of us because I think we could realistically throw him into the the mix for that and, and that's how good he's been right I mean a, a 140 WRC plus in left field with with good defense you know 26 stolen bases on pace for you know 50 or so stolen bases uh and, and almost 40 home runs right I mean that is a monstrous season you know early Bonzian essentially and, and they're very different players but but at the same time right I mean Corbin Carroll is a massive impact and he's a big part of why the Arizona Diamondbacks are in the race for the NL Central right now uh I think they're two and a half games back so that that's just absolutely absurd but it's also absurd that he's he could be very well not only just be the rookie of the year but also you know an MVP candidate at the end of the season you know unless something were to happen to some of the frontrunners we'll talk about later yeah he has been Utterly insane. And like you mentioned, he's been a catalyst for that Diamondbacks team this year um, to really surprise in the NL West. Um, I think right now they're technically third um, behind the Giants. They, they've had a rough stretch recently, yep. but um, the Diamondbacks you know, need some pitching. Yeah. And they should go sign Madison Baumgartner, right? Um, <laughs> you know, it, you mentioned Corbin Carroll. He, we knew the talent that he had, that he could be a, a uh, an MVP caliber player, and he, we could easily throw him into that conversation when we're talking about later the best hitter. But um, you know, for him to be doing what he's doing, it's a, not really a surprise, but it's it's good to see. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump over to uh, our American League pitchers. So Matt, who do you have for your best pitcher in the American League? So my best pitcher in the American League is a guy who's been a very very unsung. A uh, guy the last couple years for being one of the best pitchers in baseball, and that would be Framber Valdez. He has just been incredible for I think I think it's going on really, really three years now. I mean, he's had four good years. You know, twenty twenty, uh, he pitched seventy four seventy innings in the short season and had his peripherals all under three, but his ERA was a little bit higher. Twenty twenty one, three fourteen ERA. 2022 282 ERA this year it's better 276 ERA his peripherals are even are back that up he's pitched 117 innings um you know his strikeout rate is up a lot and his walk rate is down a lot and he's still getting grounders at maybe not the same rate as he has been the last few years but still 55% ground ball rate uh gets the ball on the ground doesn't get hit hard strikes a lot of guys out doesn't walk anybody that sounds like a pretty dang good pitcher to me and he's durable he, he Last year he threw 200 innings. This year he's on pace to do the same. So um, he's um, he's very 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 good. Uh, it, it seems to be very sustainable what he's done, and I think he's my pick right now for the best pitcher in the American League. Yeah. So I I, I went a different route, and you know Kevin Gossman signed a a five year deal two years ago, right? And I think we're not appreciating what he's done over in Toronto over the last year and a half. He's put up 
9.7 wins above replacement in a, you know, in a year and a half, that's 31 starts last season, 19 starts this season, um, you know, 2.38 FIP last year, 2.45 FIP this year. The ERA is even lower this year than it was last year. It's 303 this year. He's striking out more batters. He's walking a few more, but you know, for, for what Kevin Gosman brings with, you know, really solid velocity, you know, 93 to 95. And then that hammer splitter, um, along with a good slider that, that gets guys out. I, I just really love that a pitcher, you know, we saw get big money in the same tier as Robbie Ray, who was the defending Cy Young winner. Right. And he was, he'd kind of been a, a journeyman pitcher, been to a bunch of different teams. You'll use him in your immaculate grid for Baltimore and the giants. Right. But you know, Kevin Gosman is the, the type of pitcher that I don't think is getting thought about as an ace level pitcher, but he has been the best pitcher on the Toronto blue Jays. He's been one of, if not the best pitcher in the American league this season. Uh, I, and I, and he was exactly that last year. Right. And, and that's where I'm very, you know, adamant that this is maybe the best pitcher right now is because he's been doing it for over a year and we need to recognize him a little bit more. Damien, who you got? Uh, so my pick, I went a little bit more obscure. Um, I think you could have easily put like Nathan Uvaldi in this category. Um, he's had a really good year, but one guy that I went with is, uh, I went with Zach Eflin, uh, was a kind of under the radar was an early signing. I think in the free agency period this year was, you know, kind of a, a back into the rotation guy in Philly all these years was a, a you know, stat cast baseball savant darling. And I think we all thought once he got with a team that could really um, bring out, you know, what they need to out of him, he would be really good. And he signed with the Rays and the Rays have done raised things with him. Uh, you know, he's a little injured to start the year, but I mean, you're looking at a guy who 105 innings right now and his ERA is 359, but when you look at the peripherals, an X expected ERA of 319, a FIP of 313, and an XFIP of 316. And he's had, well, he's 105 innings, and in all of baseball so far in qualified players or qualified pitchers, he's 10th in war. Yeah, he's been incredible. One other guy, one of, or a couple guys I wanted to mention too is the three main guys in the twins rotation, Joe Ryan, mm-hmm. Pablo Lopez, and Sonny Gray. All three of them are in the top 20 in war, and they, the twins are in first place, and that's literally the only reason because their offense has been horrible. The division is bad, but if it wasn't for the those guys, I mean the twins would be third or fourth in a bad division, so that I, I kind of want to shout them out too. That when we get down to Cy Young voting, these guys are going to have a tough time. Yeah. Unless somebody distances themselves in the second half, I think we just listed six or seven names that could realistically be the Cy Young this season in the American League. And we didn't even mention Garrett Cole. Yeah, we didn't even yeah. mention him. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump over to the best pitcher of the National League. And Matt, who do you got for that? So my uh, guy I picked for National League's best pitcher is going to be somebody who um, – flown under the radar i don't even think you know listening to podcasts watching you know stuff on youtube or whatever i don't think i've heard this guy's name mentioned one time and it's logan webb he has been awesome this year he's pitched 133 innings first off he's a true workhorse uh that leads to the majors in innings pitched but at the same time he's he's put up great numbers over those innings a uh a 311 era uh 332 FIP, but a 289 XFIP, he's getting the ball on the ground over 60% of the time, and he's got, you know, over nine strikeouts per nine this year, 
and under two walks per nine. So he's out. He he's his strikeout rates come up. His walk rate's gone down. He's getting the ball on the ground more than ever. He's pitching tons of innings. This guy is really, really good. He's underappreciated. Last year, a 290 ERA in 2022. 2021, a 303 ERA. This is his third year in a row of being awesome. So um, Logan Webb needs to get talked about more. Uh, he's pitched seven innings tonight of uh, two-run ball. So, I mean, he con- continues to go further. I mean, he's just he's an incredible pitcher. Uh, the Giants are in second place, and, you know, he's a big reason why. He's really the main stalwart in that rotation right now. I'm going to jump on on board with the exact opposite pitcher uh, type <laughs> in, in my my guy. And, and I'm sticking, actually, with my Cy Young pick in the preseason. That's going to be Spencer Strider, uh, Clemson legend. But, you know, you know, Spencer Strider, we were worried about the durability. He's made every scheduled start so far this season. Right, thrown his 19 starts thus far. He's 11 and three. If you care about win and loss, but he's also got the highest strikeout rate in baseball, uh, sitting at a, a balmy 39%. He's also only walking seven and a half percent of batters. You know that translates to 14 strikeouts per nine and a 2.7 walks per nine. Uh, he's looking kind of like vintage Verlander at, at this point with the velocity, with the results and. The thing about Spencer Strider that Matt mentioned is that he does have that kind of propensity to to lose the ball in the air a little bit. He's only got a 32% ground ball rate, right? So some fly balls can get down. Some fly balls can bounce off the wall, get out at different parks. But for for dominance, for, for the modern baseball game, you want whiffs. Spencer Strider is going to give you whiffs, right? And he's proving that he can do it at a durable pace and do it without being wild and walking hitters. You know, he's going to get to 200 strikeouts again this season, barring catastrophic injury of some kind, right? He's at 176 thus far in 110 innings. Uh, that kind of volume of strikeouts is extremely valuable and is going to be my you know best pitcher in the National League because there's nobody in the National League or American League that's striking batters out like Spencer Strider is. Damian, who is your best pitcher in the NL? Uh, so my best pitcher in the NL, um, you know, we were mentioning with Corbin Carroll that the Diamondbacks need some pitching. Well, they have one good pitcher, and that's Zach Gallen. Um, he he's leading the NL in WAR right now at 3.7, uh, 120 innings. He's been a real workhorse for them. You know, nine and a half strikeouts per nine, walking under two per nine there. Um, you know, the ERA of a 314 ERA, a 289 FIP. The expected numbers are a little bit higher, um, but he's been a guy who, I mean, last year he had what? A, I don't even know how long the scoreless streak was. It was close to 50 innings though, wasn't it? Somewhere right around there, if I if I'm remembering it was a, right, it was a long time. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, and then the, this year he had like another one that was like 30 ish innings or something. Uh, you know, when he's on a roll, he's he's really damn good. And uh, you know, he the the Diamondbacks have needed every single bit of what he's been able to give on the starting pitching side because uh, that rest of the rotation has had some question marks. And uh, Gallon has stepped up and delivered so far this year. Yeah, and two of those guys that we just talked about, Spencer Strider and Zach Gallon, they face each other. Thursday, so that'll be a, a interesting game to tune into. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you like strikeouts, <laughs> yeah, there will be there will be strikeouts. There will be strikeouts. Uh, the Braves so, will torch Zach Gallon, one of the two. <laughs> I think that's happened already this year. Honestly, <laughs> could be. <laughs> the or Braves offense see, is really good. I think they put up six against them in their last time they faced it. But or if you oh, want to see like the biggest legs you've ever seen on a baseball field, just watch Spencer Strider yeah. pitch. That man does not miss leg day for some no. reason. Uh, 
Uh, so let's go ahead and look at the relief pitchers in the AL, Dave. Or Matt, who do you have for the AL? So in the AL, I thought it was a pretty easy pick. Uh, Felix Bautista has been absolutely unbelievable for the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, this guy is averaging 17.8 strikeouts per nine innings, and he's not really walking a ton of guys. I mean, he's he's walking a decent amount, but for a reliever, it's not bad. I mean, he's got a and he he doesn't get hit real hard. He's got the gets the ball on the ground a decent amount for somebody who has that many strikeouts. I mean, he's got a 102 ERA, a 158 FIP, and a 168 xFIP. He's already put up 2.1 WAR on the season, which for a reliever is absolutely insane to put up that much in a half a season. Like Felix Bautista has been awesome. The Orioles starting pitching has been very mediocre this year, but their bullpen, the back end, especially with him and then Yenier Cano being another guy back there has been so good that they've been able to get away with the starting pitching, not being great and uh, still be able to prevent runs at a decent clip. So he's a big reason for Baltimore being at where they are. Um, and you know, he's honestly had a little bit of a similar effect on Baltimore as what Edwin Diaz had on the Mets last year. So, uh, very, very good, um, very, very good pitcher, very good first half. And I don't expect to stop anytime soon. Yeah. I went with uh, a recent tradee, uh, who is having a massive resurgence season. It's coming off the strength of getting on, you know, TikTok and on pitching ninja, the last couple of days because Aroldis Chapman's gone over to the Rangers and started throwing 103 again. Um, and, and then you look at his season numbers, both with the Royals and the Rangers, and he's striking out 16 batters per nine, right? He's, he's got a 2.04 ERA, a 1.42 FIP, which is lower than that of Felix Bautista. And, and that's from, you know, a guy who is probably going to go to the hall of fame as a closer, uh, you know, is one of the best to ever do it. And, you know, he's getting back to vintage velocity, which is not something I thought was going to happen when it comes to a role as Chapman. He's back there on 99, 100, 102. I, you know, if the Rangers accidentally picked up, you know, vintage or oldest Chapman, they're going to be a very tough out once it comes to the playoffs, because, you know, the Rangers are going to get aggressive and continue to try to buy going forward. And, you know, having already picked up a oldest Chapman where they can insert him kind of late into their uh, into their bullpen is I think it's already a really strong move. You know, they, they've got Will Smith currently closing games, but they might want to think about letting a roll to Chapman close out some of those tougher games too. I mean, they've got some real weapons back there. Yeah. I want to mention on a roll to Chapman that the Royals were the team that fixed him, which is hard for me to believe because <laughs> they don't <laughs> fix anybody. And of course they traded him to the Rangers recently and, and he's going to be important for them this year. But like, I think it's kind of crazy that they literally were the ones that fixed the role to Chapman. Yeah, it was it was kind of you know talking about Texas there. You know, I was surprised to not see Barlow in that trade, but Aroldis Chapman's a, a rejuvenal or rejuvenized uh, Aroldis Chapman, and uh, you know one of the most feared left-handers out there again. But uh, the guy that I went with was another one that's kind of a little bit off the beaten path, but it's Matt Brash, um, guy who was a, a you know good prospect as a starter, but most people felt like he was going to have to be a bullpen arm. Eventually transitioned to the bullpen full-time this year for the Seattle Mariners. Uh, and you know, if you look at the, the start of the season for him through June 1st, the ERA was 457, right? But a 181 FIP and a 
224 XFIP. If you've looked since June 1st uh, through yesterday, uh, a 165 ERA, a 169 FIP, and a 277 XFIP. And you look at the season numbers there, 332 ERA, but a 312 XFIP, 176 FIP, and a 247 XFIP. Brash has turned into a very dominant relief pitcher and some of the nastiest stuff you'll see, um, you know, striking out over almost 16 batters per nine does have his issues with walks almost, you know, almost four walks per nine. But, you know, if you're coming in at the one, one, two, any mark and just letting it eat the stuff that he has, you know, a velocity, he gets it up to 99, a hundred at times as well. Um, just, just absolutely disgusting. It's been good to see that him, you know, take that step to be in the full-time reliever this year and excel at it. Cause sometimes it takes those uh, starters, you know, a few years and, and reluctancy to kind of embrace the bullpen role. And he's done it very well for the Mariners so far. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and jump over to our best hitter. Oh, we so got to do, do the national oh, league. Oh, national league. See, I don't know. I don't know. You were excited. Yeah. It's okay. I was. It's all right. <laughs> I was. Damien's right. got a good hitter for the National League in the. Yeah. I do. He wants I to get wanna... there. He's excited. I've got a better one. I... No, you don't. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> no. I'll, d- I'll, I'll decide. About... I'll decide. I want to talk about Nick Madrigal. Um, <laughs> Third baseman, right. Nick Madrigal. Yeah. Uh, uh, best hitter, Nick Madrigal. Anyways, uh, so let's go to National League relief pitchers. So, Matt, who do you got for that one? Um, so my National League relief pitcher I went with is a guy who has been really good the last few years, but he hasn't. He's a closer, but he hadn't gotten a lot of save opportunities because of the team he plays for. Um, but that's going to be David Bednar. He's been really, really good for the Pirates this year. In 37 innings, he has a 1.22 ERA. Um, he's got 17 saves, which I mean, like that's like you know the, the, being the Pirates. I mean, it's you know that's pretty big number and then uh he um you know he's not a guy who is just blowing away hitters like some closers do i mean he's has a good strikeout rate uh about 11 per nine but you know he's not the most dominant guy but he gets a lot of soft contact and he rarely ever walks anybody which is really nice to have for a ninth inning especially like if you have a you know two run lead or something you never want to just put that first guy on base um so give him a chance so He's a, um, you know, he's having a great year. 177 fit, backs it up, almost two war. Uh, this is his third year in a row of a sub three ERA uh, over a pretty good volume for a reliever. So David Bednar is a guy that I think is, uh, you know, I, I, he could be an interesting trade chip. Um, I, you know, I don't think the Pirates are going to move him because they probably feel like they may just be like one or two years away from competing again with the farm system and a lot of the young guys they've brought up recently. But he, um, you know, he's a, either going to be a closer for the future for them or he's going to, you know, be a closer for somebody really good this year. And I tell you one thing, I didn't ever realize until I clicked on his page a minute ago that he was originally a Padre, and I bet they sure wish they didn't trade him. So, Well, it's funny you should mention the Padres because the one problem the Padres have not had is at closer. Uh, Josh Hader's got a 1.03 ERA. Yeah. And I, I originally was going to take Tanner Scott here. He's been really good for the Marlins at kind of a long relief role uh, in maybe that seventh, eighth, eighth inning. But uh, upon realizing that Josh Hader's sitting on a 1.03 ERA, you know, and 22 saves through this season is kind of what shifted my, my best reliever over. Uh, Hader's been really, really good. And, you know, last year, a lot of 
there was a lot of talk about his struggles with the uh, with the Padres once he came over, right? Um, to the point that you know he got moved out of the closer spot, and there was uh, a bunch of consternation about making the trade. And he's rebounded completely. He was in the All Star game, uh, just a, a a really good performance this season. His strikeout rate is starting to decline a little bit, but it's still elite uh, and one of the best in baseball. His walk rates about what it's been, you know, a little bit high, but obviously something you can live with for a guy who isn't getting hit very hard at all. Um, the, the thing that he hasn't done is allow any home runs this season. And in my opinion, that's the most crucial aspect of a reliever because, you know, one home run allowing any runs at all is, is really not good when you're late in a game like that, especially in the ninth inning, Josh Hader's ability thus far through the season to prevent home runs has been extremely helpful for the Padres and keeping them from being even further down the order. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about the rest of the team in a little bit, but at the very least, Josh Hader has been good and has kept the Padres in some games that, uh, you know, in front in some games that they otherwise might not have won. So, uh, yeah, Damien, who was your best reliever? Uh, before I jump to mine, I could, wanted to say that this could be the second year in a row where Josh Hader gets traded at the deadline. Uh, yeah, we could very seriously consider that since he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Um, but for mine, I went with kind of the easiest pick that you could here. Uh, and it's Alexis Diaz, uh, you know, guy who at the beginning of the season when Edwin Diaz, his brother, went down for the Mets, most people were talking about, hey, Alexis Diaz could get traded there and take over the closers role for him. Well, with the Reds breakout, you know, Alexis Diaz has come back and done exactly what he did last year. Um, but to even a better extent, he has 26 saves so far, a 199 ERA, a 289 expected ERA and a 232 FIP, uh, 1.8 war striking out almost 14 batters per nine. The walks, you know, we've walking over four per nine. So you kind of would want to see that be a little bit better, but you know, in great American ballpark, he's giving up less than a quarter of a homer per nine. Like that's insane. It's difficult. For, yeah. For that ballpark and being a high velocity pitcher, um, you know, touching upper nineties, uh, not to give up homers there. It's insanely difficult. And the ability that he has to miss the bats there, uh, you know, Alexis Diaz has been a, a true breakout this year as a closer. One of the best closers in baseball. I think we could say, um, so he's my my best reliever uh, in the National League so far. All right, now we can jump to the best hitter. Yes. Yeah, right. we got to start with the uh, AL. All right, so best yeah. NL hitter. I'm sure. uh, so <laughs> Matt, who do you have for the best AL hitter? So, well, before we start, we're going to preface this by saying that Otani is not going to be a pick for us because it's obvious, um, and we'll talk about him in a minute, but. Um, the guy that I went ahead and picked for the AL's best hitter is Luis Robert. Um, he actually is second in – I'll say best position player. Um, he's second in war in the American League behind Shohei Otani. Uh, Luis Robert has been awesome this year. His profile is still kind of scary with the strikeouts and not walking, but he's hitting the ball hard. And he's got 27 home runs in 92 games. He's hit 276 with a 332 on base, a 575 slugging. That's for a 144 WRC plus. He also plays very, very good defense in center field that could be considered elite. Um, and he's a great base runner too. He, he's a, he, he's only got eight stolen bases, but he's a he he doesn't he rarely gets thrown out on the bases and stuff. He's he's really good. There got the speed. I know he's in the past dealt with some injuries, so. 
you know, he's probably not going to run a ton, but um, he's very, very good. And really the bright spot for the White Sox because they've had a horrible season. And, um, you know, he's really the centerpiece to build around going forward. Or, I mean, I, theoretically a guy that could fetch back like a top, top tier trade package if they decided to really blow it up. So, but Luis Roberts, a very good player, and uh, it's been fun to see him play this year. He's very exciting to watch. So I, I went with a, a bit of an unorthodox approach, as I believe the the best hitter is for each division is fairly straightforward and obvious. So I'm going with some some league leaders and some stats that are maybe less important, but are going to help you be the best hitter and the best run producer uh, in your lineup. So I'm going with Adolis Garcia for this because Adolis Garcia currently has 80 RBI and that would be leading all of Major League Baseball. Uh, he's, you know, we talked about him a bunch. We talked about him on the live stream last week. He's really been able to, you know, kind of come into his own with, you know, regards to having more of a, a hyper swing focused plate approach to where he can get to a lot of damage. And, and, you know, now he's looking at being a, a 40 home run hitter, you know, a, a early two thousands level of RBI um, in this Texas lineup. You know, he's the kind of run producer that a lot of teams are lacking badly right now. And, you know, I, I look at Adolis Garcia, you know, a kind of a cast off from the St. Louis Cardinals and to where Texas has turned him into a superstar and, and you know, starting the all-star game. And, I, I just I see the kind of hitter that I think has kind of been lost to time a little bit. The the guy who, you know, just he makes contact, he gets the ball in play, and he he does damage. And you know that's he does damage when guys are on base, drives runs home. That's it's it's long forgotten. And I think you're going to easily make cases for other hitters, but I'm going to stick with my my gut on this one and say that Adolis Garcia has been you know at least one of the best hitters in the AL this season. Yeah, I want to add on him. His walk rate is up to 9%, which is above average, which is kind of awesome for him. Uh, he's been, mm-hmm. that, like you mentioned, that super swing-heavy guy. He reminded me like a center field version of Javi Baez for a while, and this guy's now walking. So like mm-hmm. that's pretty big deal for him. Yeah, he's, he's, he's cut his strikeout rate over the last three yeah. seasons and increased his walk rate all while adding power, adding speed, adding, you know, run production. He's just been a really good hitter for a long time and he's getting better very clearly. Yeah. He went from a guy who you were wondering if he was going to be able to crack the lineup to then being like a bottom of the order bat and like, you know, will he be able to produce? And then now he's up to be in the middle of the order bat on one of the best teams and best offenses in the league. Um, so the rise for Adolis Garcia has been, been great to see. Um, for mine, I went, you know, I kind of took the best hitter approach here instead of best player. Um, and I went with Yandy Diaz, a guy who is batting 322, a 406 on base, 512 slugging, uh, you know, 43 RBIs, but that's because he's mainly been the leadoff guy for the Tampa Bay Rays already matched or above his career high in homers. I want to say, um, and that's albeit in 79 games, he's missed uh, some games due to a hip injury. And then I think he missed this last weekend while being on the paternity list. Um, but at, as of hitters or players in general in the American League, he's 16th in war with 79 games where pretty much everyone above him except Mike Trout has 10 plus more games than he does. Um, Yandy Diaz is another one of those baseball savant, you know, stat cast nerds um, that his page just is bright red all the time. You knew that eventually with the Rays, something he was going to figure it out, figure out the launch angle um, aspect of it. And he's 
done that this year and he's been very well. I think he's, you know, what is he, where's he at an average right now? I think he's leading. Yeah. He's leading the American league in average, um, fifth in slugging and first in on base percentage. So leading the in average and on base and fifth and slugging for the American league. Yandy Diaz has been every bit of the best hitter in the American league outside of a, a guy we'll talk about here in a little bit. But uh, why don't we jump over to the National League side? So, Matt, who do you got for the National League? Well, uh, I think I'm going to pick Ronald Acuna Jr. He's been by far the best player. <laughs> in the Nash- <laughs> by far the best player in the National League this year. He's put up 5.2 WAR on the season, which is insane. He's had 23 home runs and 43 stolen bases, which is on pace for like a 40-70 season. Uh, which has never been done before, obviously. He's hitting 333 with a 414 on base and a 593 slugging for a 169 WRC+. Plus. He's cut his strikeout rate. Last year, his strikeout rate was at 23.6%. year before, it was at 23.6%. So, he's, you know, these last two years, in 2021, really being a major breakout type year where, in, you know, just half a season, he put up 4.4 war. Um, you know, last year I coming off the injury was, wasn't, wasn't great, but he's cut it in half. He's at a 11.6% strikeout rate this year, which is insane. Uh, and I mean, his expected numbers on the season are, or let's say that he's been unlucky. Like that's how good Ronald Acuna Jr. has been this year. Like his expected slugging percentage is 657. I mean, his expected Woba, he's under, underperforming his expected Woba by 30 points and, I just I don't understand how a guy can be this freaking good at the plate and just as an outfielder. Like he he's really really good and uh, he's gonna win the MVP if he doesn't get hurt. Which you know with the Cunha's history, you just pray that he doesn't. But um, he's been awesome and uh, I've been very lucky to get to watch him play for my team for sure. I'm also gonna pick a player from Matt's team. Uh, but I would agree with you. Acuna has been incredible. It, it, the one thing you didn't mention, he struck out exactly as much as he's walked so far. Too. Yeah. Like, and then that's from a guy who used to strike out a ton to where it was a problem. I'm going to take a guy who strikes out a ton, but I'm going to take the national league leader in home runs. Uh, again, I'm looking for that kind of the, the hitter side of things. Kind of like Damien said with, with Yandy Diaz, I'm going to go with Matt Olson, uh, who, you know, just a few years ago got traded to Atlanta for, what is looking like a a pack of peanuts, right? I mean, Matt Olson's been every bit the Freddie Freeman replacement he's been traded to be. Um, this season, sitting on a, a 258 batting average, a 360 on base percentage, and a 573 slugging with league leading home run and RBIs. Uh, he obviously won't get a triple crown and lead the league in batting average, but to, to nail down at least at the halfway point, two of the three triple crown stats is pretty massively impressive in my opinion. And he's also scoring a ton of runs because he walks a lot and he gets on base a ton. So uh, I'm going with Matt Olson. You know, I, I think your case for Acuna is uh, rock solid and I don't think there's anybody getting around that, but in order to, to dare to be different, I'm going to take a different brave to take Matt Olson. You know, he's, he's been really good. And I, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his. So I, I think he's the, the dude for me, uh, who you got, Damien? And I bet you'll be a homer. <laughs> Listen, there's no homer bias here. I did not pick Nick Madrigal, okay? Uh, oh, fair, fair. I, I went with a guy who, you know, Matt picked the National League war or leader in war in Ronald Kennedy Jr. David, you picked the National League leader in homers in Matt Olson. Uh, the guy I picked is second in homers and second in war, and that's Mookie Betts. 
this might be the best Mookie bets we've seen since his uh, MVP year in Boston, where he hit 346 and 32 homers that year in a 10 and a half war. Uh, you know, this year he's hitting 285, 385 on base, 587 slugging, a four and a half war already, 27 homers in 90 games, which the power input his his season high in his career has been 32 before. Um, you know, th- like I said, this might be the best we've seen of Mookie Betts ever, but the thing really for him this year has been the versatility. He is playing more second base than he's ever played in his career. And he's playing some shortstop this year, which is insane to say that like the best defensive right fielder in the game is jumping and playing second base and shortstop. Um, but what I think really blown me away is the production difference in the games that he's played in right field. He's a two, he's batting 243 this year with a, where to go, where to go. Uh, I lost it. Unbelievable. Uh, here it is. A, he's batting 243 with a 355 on base percentage and a 517 slugging for an OPS of 874, right? A 136 WRC plus. That's extremely it, good. It's extremely good. <laughs> if you look at what he's done playing second base this year, 367, 458 on base, 700 slugging for an 1158 OPS and a 208 WRC plus really good <laughs> yeah like the the difference of what he's been able to do coming into the infield and like making his production be even more insane than it was in right field um which you know he's like i said he's one of the best right fielders that we've seen play he's one of the best defensive right fielders in the game so still um won the gold glove last year as well like the the production value that he's been able to bring you know with you know, at the plate, but also the defensive versatility coming in to play second base and some shortstop this year. Um, you know, he's really, I've always been a big Mookie Betts fan, obviously as a Dodger fan, but he is, he's blown me away this year with what he's been able to do. Uh, so my best hitter slash player this year is Mookie Betts in the national league. Uh, so we have another category of award that we want to go to, and it's called the Shohei Otani Award. So, Matt, who do you have for this? <laughs> well, I think I'm going to pick Shohei Otani for this one. Um, <laughs> I, he he's been remarkable this year. Like, I mean, he already had been the last few years, but what he's done this year at the plate has just been unbelievable. I mean, he's got 35 home runs already, which he's on pace to hit. I think he's on pace to get close to 60 and I think 59. Yeah. 59. Yeah. I mean, he, he could definitely get there. I mean, just, I, I don't, I've kind of had a loss for words as to how good he is. Like he's got a three Oh six average, a three ninety one on base percentage and a six seventy seven slugging percentage. That's a one eighty four WRC plus that's like peak Mike Trout as a hitter. And he's, at a 4.6 war at the plate and that's while you know the, the his defensive positional value being minus 10 because of the dh thing so got 11 stolen bases too which is awesome um like he's done that while being a pitcher and while you know on the mound it hasn't been quite what it was last year he's still been pretty good a 350 era 105 innings um, he hasn't, you know, he's pitched every sixth day or, or seventh day. Uh, you know, a lot of times they give him six days rest. Um, and you know, he's still been really, really good. His stuff is unbelievable. He's walking more guys this year, which has kind of been the only thing, um, that, that hadn't been great, but he, um, 
I mean, he's just, he's unbelievable. Like, he's put up, like, over, I think he's put up over six war already, um, which is, I mean, I, it's almost, we're almost at a loss for words at, at how good this guy is. Yeah, so for, for the Shohei Otani Award, after much deliberation, I'm going to pick Shohei Otani. <clears throat> um, look, Shohei Otani's going to get paid a record amount of money. It's going to be absolutely deserved. In fact, it's probably going to be an underpay. And th- the fact of the matter is, you know, we talked about the, the best hitters, the best pitchers. Shohei could very well win both awards for us. The fact that one player can do that in a single, you know, season is mind blowing. Just the fact that Shohei's even able to pitch well, you know, while being the second most valuable offensive player in baseball is you know, we we can't overstate it enough. Shohei Otani's doing things right now that have never been done in the history of baseball, and and, and baseball is the oldest, you know. A big four American sport. It's been around since the 1800s. We've seen two-way players. We've seen guys, you know, be able to hit and pitch. We have never been seen it in this degree at this like skill level of the the game of Major League Baseball, and that is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, You know, can he do it going forward? Who knows? But we have to give the the midseason shout out for Shohei Otani to Shohei Otani. Yeah, so for the Shohei Otani award, I decided to go with Rich Hill because uh, watching him bat is the fun. I'm just kidding. No, it's obviously we're talking about Otani here. But, uh, you know, we always knew that this talent was there. And I think we saw it a couple years ago. And then, you know, last year was an, an insane year. But what he's been able to do this year at the plate is just stupid astronomical compared to his, his career. Like he was a guy who, you know, two two seventy, two eighty type hitter. This year batting three oh six, a one eighty four WRC plus. Like his career high is was one fifty one, and that was in the twenty twenty one season where he hit forty six homers that year. Well he's gonna blow that out of the water this year. He's cut his strikeout rate from that year down almost six percent and you know, brought that batting average up. You know, that year he batted two fifty seven. That's three oh six this year. Like, it's just insane of what he's been able to do there. Um, the pitching side, it's not been as great. He's been dealing with some blister issues this year, which is something you always worry about with with pitchers there. But, um, you know, I believe it was for the last – I think it was before June. He was just on pace for uh, his numbers from what he had last year as a pitcher. Um but he's he's a guy who's fundamentally coming in and changing the way the game is played. There's literally they made a new rule because of Shohei Otani, the you know, with the DH and the pitcher and, and that. And now you start seeing people, you know, during the draft this last week, how many pit players did we see get drafted as two way players? Like, I feel like it's been a lot more than what we had seen in the recent ten years before that, because everyone's looking for what could be the next Shohei Otani. Not that you're ever going to find it. It's going to be incredibly rare, but everyone's going to start looking for that guy. Now, I think you're going to see a lot more players try it. Not that they're going to succeed, but this guy has fundamentally changed the way that teams are looking at the game of baseball. And that's very rare that you could say that anyone ever comes in and does that. Yeah. I want to, I want to point out one other thing on Shohei Otani real quick. Um, in 2021, before the, 
DH was put in both leagues. Shohei Otani did play the field a little bit. He played seven innings in right field in 2021 because when they played in a National League game, if they pulled him out off the mound, like he they would lose his bat if they put him just on, you know, if they just took him out of the game. So they put him in right field. He had a 12 UZR per 150, which obviously seven innings, but it's still kind of funny. Like he's probably a good fielder too. Oh, absolutely, he'd be a great fielder. I would assume he's how just fast good he is. <laughs> yep. Yeah, the speed and arm out there would be insane. Yeah, but. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump over and let's just kind of like look at where the uh, – obviously we do the standings breakdowns um, all the time. But we just kind of wanted to highlight some of the – looking back at our preseason predictions and teams that we missed on uh, and that. So we'll just quickly pre, you know gloss over these. But, you know, the National League East, uh, if you were to look at it, we – all I believe had the Mets finishing second in this division, and they are what are they fourth right mm-hmm. now? Yep. Yeah, they're fourth there, and then we all had the Marlins at fourth, and they are second in this division. Uh, so, you know, obviously we missed a couple there. The Mets have been downright terrible. Um, you know, they've kind of meted themselves. It's, it's the meme there, but the Marlins been a big jump for them as well. Yeah. Um... You know, looking at the, the those two teams, I think before the season we had a we, we didn't believe the Mets were going to be this bad. We thought they were going to be good. Obviously, we picked them second, but we did think there was some variance there just because of the two old pitchers that they have in Verlander and Scherzer. And at their age, like you just never know when that fall off might come. And while they were both elite still last year, you just it was you knew there was some form of if these guys don't pitch at the same levels they were accustomed to seeing, like they this team might not be all that good. That's kind of been the case. It's kind of been worst case scenario for them from, from that standpoint with those two guys. And then of course the Marlins, their pitching staff's been awesome. They won tons of one run games. And uh, I mean, they're in position to maybe make the playoffs. Uh, I know that they've kind of struggled coming out of the break. So, you know, they might be falling off a little bit, but um, they've definitely had a good season. It's been fun to watch them, you know, play well this year. Yeah. You know, we, we noted that the Marlins had good pitching and that the 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 ability for the Marlins to compete was always going to hinge on whether or not that offense could find any sort of rhythm. And they made some free agent signings, and obviously the trade for Luis Arias has really catapulted it. The question now at this point is who do the Marlins buy? Because they're in while in position to get that wild card spot. They they absolutely can do it. What's going to they're going to need to make some moves though they're they're starting to fall back to the pack a little bit it's it's been a really good season for them so far but Kim Ng has to be aggressive here because they're in position with a lot of starting pitching depth especially at the upper minors um, to be able to make some bit moves for some big players I think and th- they could be in play for a lot of interesting pieces but that's an offense that has a lot of holes and, you know, I think, you know, they want to improve at third base with Gene Segura there, you know, that you will know they want to improve in the outfield and get some power there because Jorge Soler can't do it all by himself. So uh, I'm real interested to see what the Marlins do here. As for the Mets, they're underachieving is the funniest thing that could possibly have happened here, (laughs) right? Like this is, this is a team that is a $400 million payroll, a, you know, a team that has tried to buy their way to the success uh, of other teams that have kind of set set back and developed and are and are able to be methodical with their their moves, like the Atlanta Braves. Essentially, um, the Mets have tried to just overspend the Braves and and be 
more aggressive in that sense. And it is showing that you can't just buy wins. You have to be very flexible with the way you acquire things via, you know, player assets, via trades, via the draft, via development, you know, and then free agency. The Mets have, have gone after just free agency, but they've also spent a lot of money to, to, to maintain a team that they had last year. And, you know, it, it is the same team they had last year, right? I mean, with Justin Verlander instead of Jacob deGrom and, you know, a hurt Edwin Diaz, but really that's not going to change anything. You know, this Mets team is basically the same, but it's, it's just lacking that oomph and that desire. And um, it's a team that's very clearly very happy and well-fed. You know, they're all very well-paid and they're performing like they, they don't need to go out there and win because they're already pretty well paid. Yeah. So looking at the Marlins real quick, um, you know, you mentioned that they had enough pitching that we figured that they could, you know, succeed with, well, the reigning Cy Young award winner, Sandy Alcantara has a four sixty four ERA this year. They signed Johnny Cueto to be, you know, a, a big time piece of that rotation as well. That four or five starter. They've got exactly four innings from him this year. Uh, their superstar player who is on the cover of MLB The Show. Now, I know that's, that was a big thing brought up about that this year, but played 45 games this year, and they're still in this position. You know, like, the with the stuff that they've dealt with, with Jazz Chisholm Jr. being down, Johnny Cueto being down, Sandy Alcantara not playing up to what he was last year and really struggling this year, like, to still be in this spot where they're, you know, tied for the last wild card spot right now, they're second in this division. They're an above 500 team by 10 games. Like it's, it's really good to see the Marlins finally being a good baseball team. Again, we kind of got that glimmer of hope in the 2020 here. Um, and then they kind of let you down ever since then. But, you know, like you mentioned, it's time for the Marlins to be aggressive. This, this deadline season coming up and for Kim Ng to really do something to help push this team into playoff contention. Cause I think a lot of people will want to see the Marlins back into the playoffs and see what that ballpark could look like if in a playoff atmosphere. Uh, so jumping over to the uh, national league central. Now we want to talk about the Cardinals and the reds. I think we each had the Cardinals either first or second Matt and I had them winning the division uh, David had them second. And then the Reds, we all had bottom of this division. We all crapped on them saying they're one of the worst teams that we've ever seen. The owners need to sell. This is terrible. And they are now 50 and 45, two and a half games out of a wild card spot. I, I will say with the Reds that before the season, I did not say they were one of the worst teams I've ever seen. I said I thought their pitching staff with the top end of their rotation could actually be decent. Which was kind of the opposite of what's actually happened. Of course, a lot of that's due to injuries with Lodolo and Green being out for most of the season or, you know, parts of the season at least. And But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's been crazy. The Reds, every single rookie they've brought up has just exploded, um, which has been really fun to watch. Ellie De La Cruz has been really good. Uh, Matt McClain's been better. Uh, I don't think anybody's talking about him. And Spencer Steer is my, you know, on a, what they've done this season, not, not necessarily of what they're going to do in the future or what they're, you know, how electric they are aspect. Spencer Steer's been their best one. So and nobody's really talking about him. But uh, the Reds' offense has been solid. They've kind of struggled coming out of the break. I think they, I think they're still time away from being really good. But, um, you know, they're kind of like the Orioles were last year, as far as I, you know, as far as I believe. Um, 
But uh, I think they, you know, they got the pieces to really buy in the offseason and, and turn into a really good team next year. Uh, if you look at the Cardinals, I mean, we kind of said coming in that we thought they were going to win the division by default because their offense was really good, which their offense has been really good. But that we were worried about the pitching staff. And the pitching staff has been not only like out of the worst case scenarios for their pitching, like it's every single guy that they were relying on that we were like, I don't know. You would think at least one of them would be good this year, and none of them have. They've all been bad. Um, it, you know, Jordan Montgomery hasn't been as good as he was last year for them. I mean, Miles Mikolas has been way, way, way off what he's been in the past. And then you've got like, I mean, we kind of figured that, you know, Wainwright wasn't going to be very good and Steven Matt's wasn't going to be good. And Flaherty's been injured a lot, has, you know, walks tons of guys and had been, he's had some flashes this year of, of being, you know, better than he has been, but like he hadn't been great. So, I mean, just that pitching staff's been so bad and that team just kind of fell apart. I mean, the management, you know, the manager and, and uh, Marmol and then the upper management, like it's just been kind of been a mess there. And, I mean, the Cardinals really need to sell at the deadline. And honestly, with the age of Goldschmidt and Arenado and kind of the outlook of their pitching staff, I don't – they almost need to go into a rebuild, which I don't think the Cardinals have ever done before. I think there's a legitimate possibility you could see Nolan on the move at the deadline potentially. I don't think they'll move. I think his contract's too big. So I, I don't think say. so. I think somebody will take it we'll if s- the Cardinals are willing to. Yeah, I don't think they will be. I think that's a team that's resetting for 2024. I'm not getting my hopes yeah. up for any sort of massive sell-off. Yeah. I do not think they're going to blow it up. I think they might trade like Jack Flaherty because they're out of it this year, and they might trade yep. uh, Jordan Hicks or something. Montgomery. But yeah, Montgomery maybe. But they're an not outfielder. Gonna, yeah. yeah I mean, those two. They could trade an outfielder if they get a big league piece back. But, like, I don't – I mean – Like Logan Gilbert? <laughs> Well, hey, we were just uh, talking about the Marlins. I mean, they could trade a one right. of those corner outfielders at the Marlins for one of their, you know, close to the big leagues pitchers. You know, yeah, They're, that makes some sense, and I can't wait for that pitcher to be amazing because, of course. But I, I, I'm happy to be the most, the least wrong about the Cardinals, I guess, because I had them second. But you know, that's a team that I just never trusted, and I think they. The things I didn't trust are the things that got magnified here, right? They, they swapped from Yadier Molina to Wilson Contreras, pitching staff, you know, craps the bed. So that doesn't surprise me. You know, there's all kinds of drama, which I was not expecting, right? The managers was just really not good there. Uh, the culture they've created is just not good. It's not what you expect from the Cardinals to have a bunch of drama. They're in the, the news for a bunch of clubhouse problems, uh, you know, guys not hustling on the field and stuff. Just weird things that you wouldn't expect from that team uh, in years past. Uh, as for the Reds, I'm I'm thrilled that they're doing well for everyone except for Cubs fans, right? I mean, there's you're seeing what trust in the young players is able to do, right? Christian Encarnacion Strand just came up this week. That's another guy who's maybe a little underappreciated, but he's a big masher, and he's going to be able to help them going forward, and, and they can stack their lineup with guys like Matt McClain, Steer, Ellie, and, you know, TJ Friedel and, and Jake Fraley have been really good somehow. And yeah. Jonathan India hasn't even been that good. Joey Votto's back. He's hitting pretty well. I mean, it's like this is a team that is not – it's surprising that they're doing this well. But, like, you could see the path that they would have had to take to get here. And it's exactly what this is, which is trust the young guys, you know, have just – 
everything break your way in terms of you know player promotions and them excelling, and and they're getting they're getting it done. So uh, you know, good on the Reds for trusting the young guys. That's all I got to say about them. Yeah, and they are doing it without. I mean, they've lost Hunter Green in the middle of yeah. June, right as the time they went on this run. Lodolo's been out for a good chunk of the year with a broken leg. Like they've done it with, you know, their ben, top two pitchers coming ben into the lively. year. Well, Ben Lively, <laughs> like, like Corey Andrew, Ab- Abbott. Andrew Abbott, like I mean, this like the rotation they put yeah. together is like those are the two guys who have been their best pitchers. I mean, yeah, it's it's been. Uh, you know, it's been insane what they've actually been able to do. But uh, looking over at the NL West, really the big miss here is we had the the Padres. I think we all had them winning the division. Most of the baseball world had them winning the division. And they are, you know, fourth in this division, ten and a half games back of the lead. But, I mean, not even close to third place here. Eight games back in the wild card. Um, so it's just a real, real big disappointment for the San Diego Padres this year. Yeah, you just feel like the Padres are going to go on a run at some point. Like you just, I, I felt like it forever, and they just haven't. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like the talent on the team. I mean, Xander Bogarts and Manny Machado haven't been as good as they have been in the past so far this year. Which for Xander Bogarts, you know, it's very scary because they just signed him to a gigantic contract, and a lot of the issues that he's having were kind of things you were starting to see last year. And I think Manny Machado will end up rebounding, but he has. He's already. And he has. He's, he's been really rebounding. good this month. So, uh, but like, I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr. coming back, he's been awesome. Like, they just they have no depth. I mean, they have four play. They have three players who have performed really well this year in Kim and uh, or Hassan Kim, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. and uh, Juan Soto, and then Machado lately has been better. But like the rest of their lineup, I mean, Bogarts has been okay. Like, you know, the you look at their, I mean, they just don't have any depth. Jake Cronenworth has been really bad. Like, their DH situation's been Matt Carpenter and Nelson they, Cruz, who's like forty five. They <laughs> like, DFA'd they him. DFA'd him. They DFA'd, yep. who they DFA'd recently too. Yeah, and then like their catching situation has been awful like, until Gary Sanchez was signed off the street. He's actually been not quite as bad, but I mean, it's just kind of. This team just never – they just never gelled, um, and we'll see. I mean, they're beating the Blue Jays 6-1 to one in the top of the eighth. They were right in it's it with the Phillies this weekend and were – you know, had a chance to take th- at least two or three of those games against the, a pretty good Phillies team that's currently the wild card team, and they just choked two games away. I mean, it's kind of the way the Padres have been all year. So, um, you know, we'll see. Maybe they go on a run, you know. We'll talk about next week the trade deadline and the Padres could end up being sellers. But I mean, like, is this the week they kind of take off? Because they could win, you know, they could win four games in a row and then they're sitting there right at 500 and, you know, they feel like they got a chance to do something. So um, it's just, it's a tough situation going forward too because they have a lot of money on the books from guys who won't be this good for very long, like two or three more years of like Machado being good and, and, Bogart's being good, and I mean, and of course Juan Soto's a free agent after next year, so uh, we'll see what happens with them. Yeah, and and for the Padres this week, you mentioned it's going to be very vital. They play Toronto, but then they go and play Detroit at home, and then or no away, and then they play Pittsburgh. Uh, 
you know, and then going into, they played Texas the weekend after that for Colorado for the deadline. So you have to look at this weekend going into the beginning of next week between Detroit and Pittsburgh. And you have to think the Padres have to say, we have to win five of those six. We have to, to to have the shot there. Um, But, and really, I mean, Darvish hasn't been great this year, but Musgrove has been really good since he got back. Blake Snell has been insane. Um, He's been really, really good. He, I don't know if he's figured out the walk issues all the he, way, but he hasn't, but um, he's been good regardless. He's Supposedly been, it's Gary Sanchez catching. He likes throwing. Yeah, Gary Sanchez. yeah, I know. I was going to pull that up. Like in his 10 starts before Gary Sanchez, he had a five Oh four ERA and the nine starts since he's had a 0.51 ERA. Snell has yeah. like, even if the Padres, I, I, I think Snell's going to get flipped at the deadline. I, I feel like the Padres are kind of committed to having to just reset a little bit for the, through this year. I mean, you, obviously you have Soto. You, he's not going to go anywhere. You have Tatis. You have Machado. But, like, I could see Snell, who's, like, on the last year of his deal. I could see Hader, who's on the last year of his deal. Like, try and get something back, and then that frees up a little bit of money that you can go kind of sign players with and sign more depth this year. But uh, it's not been not been great for the Padres. I, um, I will say I Joe Musgrove threw six more shutout innings today. He's been really good. I have one run innings, yeah. but he's been, he's been super good. He's been really good. They need to stop. By uh, the way, they need to stop extending thirty-eight-year-old pitchers for like six years too. <laughs> like I, I don't, I still don't understand that one. Yeah. Uh, so let's go ahead and stay out west and jump over to the American League West, where the Texas Rangers are leading this division at fifty-six and thirty-nine. Uh, and then looking at our preseason uh, predictions of it, uh, Matt had him in, had the Rangers in fourth. I had the Rangers in third, and then David had the Rangers fourth oops so uh them <laughs> leading this division now um you know it's they've had a great season i mean what they're almost 20 games over 500 um and they're doing this without the big signing of jacob de who barely pitched for them uh you know the question marks in that rotation they've seemed to uh you know figure something out at least and we've we talked about adolis garcia and obviously marcus simeon Corey seager josh jung's breakout this year has been a big part of that as well. But Texas Rangers have been playing good baseball this year. You know, you forgot Jonah Heim there, uh, all-star starter yeah. catcher too for the AL. Yeah. He's been really good. The the thing that I, I think I didn't, I guess, factor into the Rangers, I factored in that DeGrom would probably get hurt, right? That was kind of my thought was either the Rangers will be really good or Jacob DeGrom will be hurt and they'll be really bad. The pitching staff around DeGrom has picked up the slack so tremendously that it, I don't think anybody could have possibly anticipated this, right? Nadio Valdi's been one of the best pitchers in baseball. He was definitely on our radar for AL best pitcher. Um, you know, and then John Gray's been really good. Dane Dunning has been really solid in terms of just getting getting guys out. Their bullpen's been really good, right? This is a team that has gone from you know being a afterthought in terms of pitching and, and to a point where they desperately need help to a team that can, can go out, be really aggressive with upper minors, you know, players and go out and get a pitcher at the deadline here. And we'll, we'll talk about who next week, but I'll, I, I would put the Rangers on getting one of the best pit, best pitchers at the deadline here and try and fill out that rotation behind Eovaldi and get, you know, mo- being able to move gray and Dunning back in the rotation a little bit so that they're not starting game two of the, of the playoff series and you've got a really reliable, really strong number two that, that makes the Rangers a really formidable team. And, and I think a lot of teams are going to be willing to, to pair up 
you know, relievers with starters, right? You think the White Sox, the Cubs, there's some other teams that are, are definitely, you know, the Cardinals, even we talked about Flaherty and Hicks. They're going to pair relievers with starters to get better prospects back. The Rangers are going to be in buy mode. They're going to get even better, right? I, I think that, you know, they put themselves in such a good position by having overachieving offense and really strong uh, defensive, you know, you know, adjustments and, and players and Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon have been good. Jung, Jung's been so good. I, I'm, I'm definitely pleased with this, but I, I'm really excited to see what they do in the next couple of weeks because they think they're really going to shake up the market. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, not only, um, are the, the you know, the, are, are has their Jacob DeGrom been out, but, Corey Seager missed like a month too. So, I mean, if, if, if you had told me that, I would have thought that they wouldn't have made it this far. But like we said in the offseason, this was a very tough team to judge because they added a lot of pitchers that have had injury questions but have also been very good at times. Like they added, obviously, Evaldi's been a hit for them. Like Andrew Heaney, had, I don't think he's really done very well. Like – um, you know, Martin Perez, another guy they, they brought back and he's been okay for them. And then the Grom's been hurt, but I mean, Evaldi's been one of the best pitchers in baseball. So that's kind of been a hit. And then Dane Dunning's kind of taken the step to being a mid rotation guy, which he kind of was a pretty good prospect that, that you thought might be able to do that. But, uh, their lineup's really good and they play great defense, like you mentioned. Um, and their bullpen's been solid. They're going to be in attack mode at the deadline, and uh, I think they're a very good team. I mean, that you know, looking at some of the metrics, I mean, they've been close to – they haven't been that far off the Braves in some of the metrics for position players, which is pretty crazy because the Braves have been really good. Yeah, so uh, the last one we wanted to highlight is jumping over to the American League East now where we kind of missed on almost this whole division. Um, we all had – the Blue Jays winning the division, I believe we did. We all had the Blue Jays winning, the Yankees in second, and the Rays in third. Uh, the only real change we had was Matt had the Orioles in last, and then David and I had them in fourth. Uh, which you looking at at the division standings? Tampa Bay's sixty and thirty seven, leading it. Tampa or uh, Baltimore's fifty seven and thirty six, only a game back, and then Toronto's fifty three, forty one, five and a half back, with New York bringing up the uh, the bottom of the division, nine games back. Yeah, it's pretty hard to believe the Yankees are in last place in a division like ever. But uh, I mean, I've, you, I think did you that, see Aaron Boone's comments today too. He was on the no, uh, I, the baseball talk with like John Boy and his people yeah, the talking talking Yankees show. Yeah. yeah, and and he was say like they were saying like we need some upgrades here, like we need some offense, like we need some. And he's like, yeah, yeah we we got one coming back pretty soon. And they're like, what judge? And he's like, yeah, they're and. They were both like, well, you need more than that. And he's like, well, we got Nestor coming back. <laughs> both of the guys were like, Nestor's not that good. And he, Boone was like, what? Yeah. Like, he's like, yeah, I, I think we got Nestor, Loisaga, and like Judge coming back. I think we got some pretty good people. Like, basically yeah. dismissing I, that they needed upgrades. Yeah. I mean, that's such a hard question to ask a manager just because they're, you know, he's going to say the guys he has on his team now, he's going to try to make, you know, say we, we believe in our guys type things like that. So, but yeah, I mean, I, the Yankees, we knew coming in, like there was a chance that that offense wasn't going to be good. It was judge and then an aging and, and, and often injured John Carlos Stanton. 
and then Anthony Rizzo, who's had his back issues and is just not like a superstar anymore. Like he's still a solid player. And then you got an aging Josh Donaldson. That was the offensive guys you were counting on. I mean, you were starting a rookie at shortstop behind the plate. You're not looking good offensively. And then it's like, you know, if one of those, if Judge gets hurt, what happens? Because he's already, he's been hurt a lot in the past. I mean, not the last two years, but before that, I mean, he missed a lot of time. So he's still kind of a guy you think of as a little bit risky injury wise coming in. And I mean, they've been, it's been a problem for them. I mean, they've, they've had, and of course they've had their pitching injuries too with Nestor Cortez. And, I mean, they overperformed a lot of guys last year. And um, I don't know. I mean, it's just a flawed roster and it seems like they've tried to build through, they've made some really dumb decisions, honestly. Um, you know, but, but either way, uh, the Rays, they've been really good. I think if you asked us in this division, who could be a shock, you know, the surprise team that wins it, I think we probably would have all said the Rays just because they do this. Like they do this every I, single year. We doubt the Rays and then all of a sudden they're good. I, I mean, think we highlighted that in the episode. Yeah, I was like, we all probably. picked them to be third and there. We, we, I think we all said they're going to win this division now because we did that. Yeah, I mean, and then the Orioles, I'm honestly surprised the Orioles are this good because the pitching staff is not great uh, in the starting rotation. I mean, their ace is Kyle Gibson. So, I mean, Tyler Wells has been really good for them in the rotation, but they really need to add some at the deadline. Grayson Rodriguez has been up and down a little bit uh, between AAA and the big leagues and hasn't really taken off. I think that was kind of our, if the Orioles go this year, all the position players have to really perform. They have to have a great offense. And then Grayson Rodriguez has to really come up and, and have an immediate impact. And he hasn't, but the Orioles are still right there in second place, just one game back. So uh, looking like a pretty much a playoff lock and, and they should be buying pitching at the deadline. They need at least, I think they need two starters. Um, you know, you could make an argument they need, you know, they could, they could use a third one. But, I mean, I think out of Tyler Wells and maybe Bradish and Gibson, they could probably muster up a third guy. But the bullpen's been good for them, and the lineup's been so good that, you know, the Orioles have just been awesome. So um, the Red Sox have been a little bit surprising for a lot of people too, even though they're still not – they're still in fourth. I mean, just the fact that they haven't been, like, bad is kind of – for some people, I mean – I wonder if like the Orioles and Cardinals could line up on like a Jordan Montgomery and Jack Flaherty trade, like kind of get two for one there. Yeah. I mean, maybe the, they've got, the Orioles have so many prospects in the upper minors that are probably blocked at this point that, and they're going to have a 40 man crunch. So they're going to have to do something. Yeah. The Orioles are definitely a team to watch next week. Yeah. They could be one of the most aggressive teams out there. Obi Mayo, sure. he's yeah. definitely one to watch. Guy, so yeah. would Jordan Westberg, Westberg uh, Connor yeah. Norby. Hester I don't know about Westberg because he's since he's at the big league level. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Westberg I'll tell you, just got called up. I think moved, but he's yeah. still been good. Yeah, I think Westberg could be a team that. I think he could be a team that or a player that teams will want to target because he's at that major league level. He's got. Yeah, um, maybe exactly. Like the he's he's ready for it. Yeah, like that. That's kind of like what you would think. Like they are ready for somebody to come in and play second base, shortstop there. Um, yeah, right away. So, yeah. But I, uh, I do. I will say, you know, I don't. Yeah, I, I will say, I don't. I don't know that I. I don't feel bad about the, the prediction being weird in this division because this division is all at least five games over five hundred. Right? The Yankees, yeah, for yeah. all their struggles, are a five games over five hundred team. 
they in any other season in any other division, that's a team that's looking very strong to make the playoffs. And you have teams that are at 500 in the you know the AL Central, like the Twins. They're currently in the playoff spot, right? So the Yankees just have the misfortune of being in one of the toughest divisions ever. Uh, same for the Blue Jays, right? I, you know, that's still a talented team. The Yankees still a talented team. The, the Red Sox, it, it, this is this is kind of a crapshoot. This is going to be a tough one to call. And, you know, I, I think all five of these teams are going to be buyers come next, you know, in the next couple of weeks. It's, it's going to get really interesting because somebody's got to finish last in this division. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now with losing to the or for the to the Angels again, they might be the Yankees finishing last. Yeah, their offense yeah. has been pretty dreadful, and and you're absolutely right that you know Aaron Boone's protecting his guys there, but they need some assistance. Uh, Josh Donaldson also just went down, so you know one of their you know, I mean, he hasn't been that productive, but he's been a source of power for them, and now he's out too, so. Yeah, if you're looking at Baltimore, Toronto, and Boston over their last ten, they've all been eight and two. Uh, like this division, <laughs> like obviously Tampa has been three and seven, Yankees have been three and seven. Baltimore's going to lose again tonight, but uh, like this, this division is very, very tight, and they are going to be playing each other very, very tough uh, through the end of the season. But uh, any last little things that we want to wrap up on before we head out? Uh, I mean. This is a very important week for the Angels, the Padres, and maybe the Mariners. Like, if you win two, you know, four or five games this week, you might buy. If you lose four or five games this week, you're going to sell. So, there's a few teams still right on the cusp that we don't really know what they're going to do, and uh, that's going to be a big co- going into the, the deadline here in a couple weeks. Yeah, and and to echo that, oh, actually, yeah, and to echo that, you know. The Cubs, I think, have have gone yeah. to the sell point, right? I think the Mets have have reached the sell point. I think the White Sox have reached the sell point. So you're seeing, you know, the teams are starting to line up in their respective uh, trade target spots, and we're going to start seeing some teams start. You're going to see rumors start flying. We've already seen a few of them, but. Next week is going to be, I think, a, a really good, you know, kind of speculative show. And then we'll be able to kind of do some reaction and stuff the week after that on exactly yeah. what's going down at the trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, trade deadline's two weeks from today. So we'll be able to have all of the uh, the moves and stuff from that point. But <clears throat> um, the thing I'd really say is watch for the team that's going to get aggressive and make the early move. We always see that somebody makes that move like two weeks before. I mean, we saw the Rangers with Chapman, but um, we see we usually see a deal within this this first week or so. You know, with two weeks before the deadline, somebody jumps early and makes a, a deal, just trying to jump the market a little bit and, and jump other teams getting aggressive um, and potential injuries on that. So be on the uh, the lookout for that this week. But uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for the episode 134 of the Batfoot Podcast. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll catch you guys back next week.